You're listening to a podcast from GUT. Welcome to this edition of the GUT Podcasts. On this edition, we'll be talking about um, issues related to colon cancer screening and particularly about a publication recently in GUT titled Performance Measures in Three Rounds of the English Bowel uh, Cancer Screening Pilot. Uh, we have the pleasure of having uh, David Weller talking to us this morning uh, about this study. He's one of the lead authors on this study and has been involved with the English uh, Bowel Cancer Screening Project uh, for uh, many years. I think our listeners would uh, appreciate knowing a little bit more about your background, so if you would mind telling us about that and also to give us a sense of you know, how you got interested in this particular area of research. Sure, well, thanks. Uh, my background is in general practice. I'm a, in fact, I still work as a GP in Edinburgh. And, uh, I run the um, university department of, uh, of, of general practice uh, here uh, here in Edinburgh. I got involved in uh, colorectal cancer screening back in the uh, mid-1990s. I chose it for the topic of my uh, PhD thesis. And when I came to uh, Edinburgh from Adelaide uh, in the year 2000, just at that time, the government, the English Department of Health, was setting up an evaluation of pilots of colorectal cancer screening using the faecal occult blood test. So I got together um, a team of people uh, to put in a bid for that, and, and we were successful. The, uh, the, the team comprised... Uh, a range of people, including uh, health economists, um, clinicians, um, uh, biochemists, and psychologists, a very multidisciplinary team. And uh, we examined the, uh, the, the UK pilot uh, from, uh, from a number of, number of different, different angles. Really, since then, uh, I've maintained um, interest and engagement in, uh, in the program, and that's really what this, um, uh, this most recent paper um, is, is an example of uh, reporting uh, uh, after uh, three rounds of, uh, of screening in the English pilot. And it's had, had all, all kinds of uh, spin-offs. We've looked at uh, uh, lots of different aspects of, uh, of, uh, of colorectal cancer screening. So you've seen a lot of things change then since when the study first began to where we are now in uh, 2011. To, again, help put things in perspective, now we know that screening is effective for uh, colon cancer, and there's a variety of different ways to do that screening. So maybe if you can give us a little bit of a sense of the approach that you took when you began this study with using a fecal called blood testing as the screening methods and what we're what you're hoping to uh, learn from this study? Obviously, the way things work in the United Kingdom is uh, with with screening programs, as they tend to be uh, very uh, centrally organised and to involve population-based uh, recruitment. So, uh, we were actually uh, presented with. Um, a, a model of screening which we were uh, asked to evaluate, and that was that involved uh, centra, a centralised um, screening centre in England and Scotland, where tests were sent out uh, to to people via post. Um, they were um, sent back into the uh, into the laboratory. Um, 
and results given to um, both the both the uh, uh, participants and their uh, and their doctors and for those with uh, positive tests uh, were offered um, offered colonoscopy. So that was the kind of uh, typical model of screening uh, which uh, uh, prevailed in the uh, in the UK and uh, it's quite you know, similar, I guess, to the model for. Uh, for for, uh, for for breast cancer screening, I think it's you know quite interesting to contrast the way that things are done in the UK um, with, for example, in in, in uh, North America, where uh, there's a, a much wider uh, array of um, uh, of approaches uh, and uh, more opportunistic screening, and I guess less screening, which happens within the very tight and very controlled uh, context of um, uh, of a program, so we were asked to uh, assess whether uh, our core question was whether the uh, results from the randomised controlled trials, which showed about an 18% reduction in in mortality, could be repeated if um, outside the the uh, setting of a randomised controlled trial. So if we just offered screening to the general population. Uh, could uh, could it uh, perform um, equally uh, equally as well? And essentially, what we found was that uh, levels of uptake, um, pathology uh, detected, um, a whole range of rates of positivity, a whole range of sort of screening uh, program parameters uh, were were in fact quite similar to what the, those that were achieved uh, in the in the randomised controlled trials. So we didn't uh, didn't have a chance within the uh, evaluation of the pilot to uh, examine uh, effects on mortality, and that's only really just being uh, being looked at now that the program's completely uh, completely rolled out. Um, but uh, what we did get a chance to do was to see how how this kind of screening approach would be. Uh, would be accepted in the uh, in, in the UK population. Looking at the results of this last study that you did, looking at the performance measures on the the three rounds of your um, screening pilot, what do you think are the main implications of your study, and and how does that tie into the um, evidence that your study provides for the effectiveness of a bowel cancer screening program in the English population? I suppose the, the, the most important findings were around uptake of, uh, of of screening, and we've fairly consistently demonstrated now that uh, that uptake using this kind of approach uh, in the overall population uh, varies somewhere between um, uh, 55 and uh, and 60 percent, and that seems to be quite stable. Uh, over uh, subsequent rounds of uh, of screening, we've also also found that the uh, differences in uptake between the most deprived and the least deprived, and uh, between ethnic and uh, non-ethnic populations, are really quite resilient. And for example, in some South Asian subgroups, uh, uptake was um, in the low uh, low 30s, low 30 percent, which is um, uh, and that's that's been quite uh, quite consistent over um, o- over time. This study that we've just reported on uh, gave us an opportunity to look at 
how uh, the screening program uh, performs over uh, over a period of time. And really the patterns in terms of uh, pathology uh, detected, the stage shift of uh, of cancers have all been fairly predictable and have, uh, have followed the course of uh, similar sorts of courses, of uh, course, to, uh, uh, to other kinds of uh, screening programs. I think the, the main messages that this provides for the way that screening is happening um, at the moment is that we really need to be putting a, a lot more uh, effort into trying to reduce these inequalities in, uh, in uptake because they do appear to be quite, uh, quite resilient um, and uh, it's really not acceptable to have uh, uptake rates as, as low as 30% in some uh, sectors, of the, um, uh, sectors of the population. But it also uh, uh, flags some other issues around uh, whether we should be screening for, um, uh, for, for older people at the moment. Um, we have a, a kind of an opt, opt-in strategy for, for people in, in uh, out, out with the age group, and that's uh, resulting in very, uh, very low numbers of uh, of people uh, people opting in. Um, that'd probably be the main messages uh, around uh, around uptake for, uh, for for the current current program. I know your study didn't specifically address what you can do to uh, improve those uptake rates, but uh, would you care to comment on what do you think are some reasons why you see a lower uptake in certain ethnic groups or deprived groups and what you think some strategies would be to improve the uptake? Yes, we've explored some of these issues in uh, in other other studies and uh, in the, the qualitative work that, that we've uh, undertaken uh, suggests that... Um, People uh, in these lower uptake groups are often quite put off by this uh, method of, uh, of of screening. Uh, they'll typically say that uh, they they find a, a letter, an anonymous letter, arriving in the post um, uh, difficult to, uh, to to respond to. They often say that they would uh, prefer uh, involvement from, for example, their uh, their, their general practitioner. We have found that when we explore people's understanding of the uh, fairly extensive uh, and carefully thought through written materials that uh, that go out with the, uh, the with the screening um, invitation, that there are all kinds of misconceptions about what the test is, indeed what uh, what bowel cancer is, and uh, and uh, how the test might be able to. Uh, might be able to help them. So there are fairly sort of profound um, educational and uh, and, and uh, other issues uh, that uh, that we need to need to overcome in these uh, in these groups. The sorts of strategies that are being examined, I've already mentioned uh, the the role of of, um, of uh, primary care, and there's a growing body of evidence now that. If the recruitment process can better engage um, general practitioners and primary care teams, that's likely to have a positive effect on uptake, particularly in these uh, in these hard-to-reach groups. But there's also uh, a lot of interest in 
uh, in psychological approaches which um, try to explore people's efficacy uh, and uh, their understanding of a test more uh, more thoroughly and uh, and come up with uh, with strategies for for overcoming um, their uh, their perceived barriers of course they're not just attitudinal barriers uh, often people in uh, lower socioeconomic groups will say that they have um, uh, just other priorities in their uh, in their lives and um, getting involved in screening programs um, perhaps for them is perceived as being costly as uh, inconvenient they might have transport problems uh, child care problems if, if it's if it requires follow-up appointments and so forth so there's a whole raft of um, of, uh, of barriers that uh, that we've encountered and potential strategies for um, for over- overcoming them so, so given all those issues what do you think about the possibility of using a different modality for colon cancer screening. There has been some you know, recent work done looking at flexible sigmoidoscopy. For instance, a one-time flexible sigmoidoscopy as a potential screening approach. There's some newer data coming out using fecal immunochemical testing. Do you think any of those um, uh, modalities or approaches um, might be a way to address some of these um, low uptake rates or even more globally, do you think, um, given the newer data that's come out looking at those, that those might be um, an alternative approach to FOBT um, that would um, that should be adopted? I think there's they, they certainly show promise if one looks at the uh, most recent paper from uh, from Wendy Atkin and her team published in uh, in The Lancet. Um, that's clearly uh, demonstrating some uh, some mortality benefits from uh, uh, from one-off uh, flexible sigmoidoscopy screening. We still know relatively little, however, about uh, about how uh, acceptable it will be in the uh, in the wider population. And to that end, in England. Uh, some um, uh, some pilot sites have been uh, set up in which that modality of screening is being offered. Of course, in the um, uh, in the Atkin et al. paper, uh, people had been had indicated previously in in a questionnaire that they'd be um, uh, they'd be receptive to uh, to an invitation for uh, uh, for flexible sigmoidoscopy. Um, so I think. Uh, it, Flexible sigmoidoscopy does hold some some promise, but we need probably to learn a little bit more about uh, how it's going to uh, be taken up, particularly uh, by these uh, by these hard to reach uh, groups. Whether it should replace um, uh, FOBT testing, I think, is more controversial. As you're probably aware, the approach in England has been. Uh, to uh, add it into the program, and uh, uh, and uh, it's likely that uh, that uh, uh, patients about uh, around the age of 55 will be offered uh, a one-off flexible sigmoidoscopy uh, screen uh, prior to uh, entering into um, in, into uh, the FOBT screening program from the age of uh, age of 60. Uh, 60 onwards. I think there's probably the short answer is that um, 
uh, yeah, there's some evidence from modelling that uh, that one-off screening with FlexiSig can produce some long-term benefits, but we don't really know uh, yet whether it could actually replace uh, FOBT screening. Um, you also mentioned different kinds of uh, faecal occult blood tests, and I guess the uh, the, the most uh, uh, widely used alternative test of a traditional GUAIC test is the uh, faecal uh, immunochemical test, and uh, I do think that shows uh, that shows real promise. Um, it's uh, it potentially has uh, sampling procedures which are, uh, are less off-putting, uh, which involves uh, less um, inconvenience to uh, to people, uh, to uh, to people participating in in screening, and if one looks at the the performance data, it it, it does uh, you know, appear to compare well against uh, against GUIC testing in terms of its sensitivity and uh, and and specificity, and of course it's more specific for uh, for for lower gastrointestinal bleeding. So I think. Probably one of the approaches that 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 we should be taking in trying to address these inequalities in uh, in, in uptake is to is to get more information about how the immunochemical test uh, is um, uh, is is likely to be taken up by these by these hard to reach groups. And that that's great. So that really helps put the results of your most recent study in context with regards to what's going on uh, in the um, greater UK area and uh, particularly in regards to colon cancer screening. Are there any um, take-home points that you'd like to um, uh, raise at this time for the the, uh, active uh, practicing clinician, specifically regards to the implications for your study, how that may have an impact on uh, current clinical practice? Yes. I think that the results of our study uh, provide um, further evidence that uh, that screening um, using the uh, faecal occult blood test uh, can be uh, an, an effective approach at uh, at a population level, uh, and uh, it is likely uh, to lead to improvements in, uh, in in mortality which would be similar to to those which were um, found in the randomized controlled trials I think um, in terms of our uh, clinical practice there's probably two uh, two main messages uh, first of all we need to be uh, we need to be vigilant if we're going to take screening seriously and uh, and try and uh, improve access to uh, uh, to screening uh, so that we don't um, have the current uh, inequalities uh, in uh, in uptake and um, and secondly as clinicians I think we need to be um, uh, mindful that uh, that there are a lot of misunderstandings about uh, about screening and that people, for example, might be falsely reassured by a negative test and uh, less inclined to present to us as um, uh, as clinicians with, uh, with 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 their symptoms. 
So I think we have some um, uh, some work to do with our patients in, in terms of how we uh, respond to symptoms uh, in the context of these uh, these screening programs. All right. Well, uh, thank you very much for taking the time to talk to us about colon cancer screening in general, and particularly with regards to your recent study results uh, based on the study performance measures in three rounds of the English Bowel Cancer Screening Pilot. Um, again, for the audience, this is uh, David Weller, uh, a lead author on uh, this series of studies um, with the most recent one, the one that I just mentioned. Um, he's uh, a general practitioner at the University of um, Edinburgh um, and uh, international authority in colon cancer screening. So thank you very much. Thank you. For more information about this program and other BMJ Group podcasts, please visit bmj.com.